0: A number of years ago, I was visiting one of our homebound members, someone who had seen and heard a lot in her lifetime, and who'd had her share of both joy and sorrow, quite a bit of sorrow, actually. And as I was preparing to leave, she started to get up along with me from the couch, and since getting up is not always an easy thing at that age, my first response was, Oh, please, please sit. I'll let myself out. And she paused a moment, and a very tender but very serious look came across her face. And she said, But I need to lock the door when you leave. I always lock the door nowadays. And then she turned to me and looked me in the eye and said, do you ever get scared? It was one of those moments when all of the masks, all of the pretense just sort of vanished. It didn't matter that two generations separated us or a lifetime of lived experience. In that moment, it was just two human beings. Deep crying out to deep, as the psalmist says, trying to find some common ground in this thing that we sometimes hide and sometimes pretend isn't real, but is nevertheless true for all of us, and that's that we all get scared. We get scared because the world we know and love is changing so fast, or for some of us, not fast enough. We know somewhere inside how it should be, even how it could be, but the memory or the hope seems far away, and thinking about it keeps us up at night. We get scared because we are bombarded with images and sounds and stories that traumatize us, the full horror of the world condensed into the nightly news or our Facebook feed and replayed over and over again we get scared because we've been hurt and we have the wounds to prove it something happened someone said something did something that can't be undone perhaps that wound was never cared for properly never allowed to heal and we would do anything rather than have to go back to that place again and when we're scared when we're anxious we do Basically the same thing, right? We lock our doors. We retreat inward. We put up walls, accumulate arsenals, install alarms and gates and fallout shelters in an attempt to feel safe. I sometimes wonder just how much of our lives are governed by fear. How many of the decisions we make as individuals or as a nation or even as a church are clouded by our collective anxiety are constant wondering what if or what will people think? How many times do we choose a path forward not because it's the best path necessarily but because it's the safest path? Or how often do we just shut down, put up the emotional wall and not let anyone else inside? Which is partially Why, I was so blown away when this sister of ours, whom I was visiting, took the risk of letting down her guard, of admitting to what she was feeling on the inside. In a moment of vulnerability, but also trust, she showed me her wound. And because of that, something happened. The fear and the anxiety was no longer the elephant in the room. It was no longer just a gut feeling that was guiding our actions, perhaps without our even knowing it. Now it was out in the open, it was exposed, and that meant we could talk about it. I sat back down, and we had what What had begun as a very ordinary visit turned into this deep conversation about things like life and death and wondering how Jesus fits into all of this. It was remarkable. And it was in a strange sort of way, very freeing. And it wouldn't have happened had she not first reached out and offered me her wounds. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples were locked out of fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That alone is miracle enough, right? Jesus shows up in a place that had been totally barricaded shut in fear. Lucky for us, God does not wait for us to hand over the key before making an appearance. God graciously and willingly makes the first move, stepping into those situations and places that have us most paralyzed and stuck. But that's not all God does. Once Jesus gets past our defenses, once he scales the high walls of our hearts and minds, he does something even more remarkable, even more liberating. Calls Thomas over, wasn't there the first time, the one who missed out and was having trouble believing. And into his hands, Jesus placed his own hands, his wounded hands, the hands that held the memory and the mark of the cross. And he invited Thomas to touch and see. There's a reason that at the Easter vigil service, We take a brand-new, perfectly sculpted Paschal candle, and the first thing we do before lighting it is to disfigure it with five nails. It's because the first gift Jesus gives his disciples after the resurrection is the gift of his scars. You might even say that the resurrection means nothing if not for those scars, that Good Friday was not just a big mistake, that God didn't just hit the undo button and bring Jesus back to life the way he was before. There's not really hope in that for anyone. What makes this encounter so powerful and so transformative, what allows Thomas to finally believe is what's contained in those wounds, his own fear, his own anxiety, his own doubt His own death. And for that matter, yours and mine. Jesus' wounds represent all of that. Jesus' hands carry all of that. And now Jesus is living and standing before him, before all of us, and saying of all wonderful things, Peace be with you. We give those words to each other every single Sunday. In a few moments... We'll get up from our seats, look each other in the eye, and offer up that part of ourselves that we usually hide as if to say, here's where I'm coming from. This is my experience. This is who I am. These hands hold all that's happened to me and all that I bring into this space this morning. I'm taking a risk by giving them to you, just as you are by giving yours to me. So I ask for you to speak peace over them, to speak Christ over them, to remind me that I'm not alone and that whatever these hands have felt, Jesus has also felt. Wherever they've been, Jesus has been, and that wherever they go, Jesus will be there waiting, Alpha and Omega. It's a powerful gift we give one another, and it's a gift that Jesus first gives us. In the broken bread shared at this altar, in the bread that is his body, Jesus places his hands into ours this morning as well. He invites us to see and touch as he did Thomas, to know by faith that though the scar remains, the wound is healed and death does not have the final word. So take a hand this morning, take many hands. Take Jesus' hand, give and receive the peace that passes all understanding. Feel the chains fall off, the doors open, the walls crumble. Do not doubt, but believe.